Blog Talk Radio. To the final edition of Beyond the Cover here with our very special guest, D.P. Lyle of 2017. We had Dean Kuntz on a little while ago, and we said that would be our last show. We were like, no, no, no. Today's a very special day because our good friend D.P. Lyle's latest book out in his Jake Longley series, A-List, is out today. We had to get him on to talk about it because his first book, Deep Six, was was just nominated for a 2017 Seamus Award. So, of course, we had to get Doug on to talk about this. We also want to let you guys know um, that everything here is brought to you by Kensington Books. Please make sure you visit kensingtonbooks.com for more information on everything that they have going on. And um, our best of issue will be coming out uh, around the 15th to the 22nd. We're still trying to get everything finalized. We've got some great interviews in there, too. Dean Koontz is in there with Christopher and Ann Rice and Marsha Clark uh, and more we have coming up. So, Make sure you see that. And, of course, your best of list, who's the Crimson Scribe Award winner, all that fun stuff will be in the issue. But without any further ado, let's knock it over here to our good friend, Mr. D.P. Lyle. So, Doug, thanks so much, man. How you doing tonight? Exciting hey, times John, th- for you. Yeah, thanks for having me here. I appreciate it. Always a pleasure to chat with you. Absolutely. And you know what? Like I said, exciting times. The book is out today, A-List. It's the second in your Jake Longley series, which is a little bit different if people, you know, kind of followed your other series, um, your other two series that you had going on, that this one is a little bit different. Uh, it's got a little more of a comedic role. The characters are, 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 a little, are much different. And um, it's a lot of fun. I mean, you have a lot of fun writing it. We've talked about this, you know, for many times. You know, this is much different than Dub Walker or Samantha Cody. So, why don't you jump right in and tell everybody about Jake Longley, A-List, Deep Six, the whole shebang? Well, um, yeah, these are more comedic, and I've always wanted to write comedy. You know, I'm a funny guy, ha-ha. So, uh, <laughs> you know, and I, I read a lot of Carl Hyacin and Tim Mullaney and Paul Levin, you know, and they write great comedy, you know, and I figure if those idiots can do it, I ought to be able to do it. But uh, I really enjoy their stuff. And, of course, one of my favorite authors is uh, Elmore Leonard. And his mm, books yeah. are, are downright funny. I mean, his characters are funny. You know, they don't think so, but as, as readers, we think so. We think they're just funny, quirky people. And I like funny, quirky people. I mean, that's why I like you, mm-hmm. you know. So <laughs> there, is, there, there is that. Um, but Jake is an ex-professional uh, baseball player, pitcher, uh, pitched for the Texas Rangers for years, and then threw his arm out, and you know, and he was a fastball pitcher and all that stuff. But his, he, he's not a very motivated guy. He's tall, he's handsome, he's you know, he's a good looking guy, he's got the gift of gab, people like him, he's an easygoing guy, but his idea of a future is basically to run his bar restaurant called Captain Rockies down on the coast in uh, Gulf Shores, Alabama, and chase bikinis. That's pretty much how he sees life, you know, why should he do anything else? Uh his dad Ray is an ex you know, some kind of spook world military type that we never really know what Ray did because Ray never talks about it because Ray can't talk about all the stuff he did. But now he's a PI, but Ray's a very serious guy. And he can't understand why Jake won't work for him, but Jake refuses. 
in the first book, Deep Six, he finally ropes Jake into doing some uh, surveillance for him, and he ends up sitting outside a house um, down the street from a house watching a, 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 in a high-dollar neighborhood a suspected adulteress, and he's supposed to get the info on who she's seeing and all that kind of stuff while her husband's away. But, of course, she gets murdered right under Jake's nose because Jake is pretty much inept. You know, he's, yeah. he's, he doesn't pay attention all the time. And um, and so then that story takes off from there. And this one, uh, his girlfriend, who he met in Deep Six, um, uh, Nicole, her uncle is Charles Balfour, who's a big uh, multi-award winning Academy Emmys, all that stuff, producer, director, all that stuff in, uh, in Hollywood. So he's a big-name guy, and he has this franchise series called Space Quest, that stars this guy named Kirk Ford, and he's like the face of the franchise. And it's a multi-billion-dollar franchise, and they're working on the sixth installment of it. It's being filmed in New Orleans. Well, Nicole gets a call from her uncle saying, "Get down to New Orleans and find out what's going on." Jake woke up in his hotel room this morning with a dead girl, and uh, of course, it turns out that the dead girl's a college-age girl, and uh, you know, Kirk is kind of a playboy. Uh, he's a player, as they say. And she happens to be the niece, the, the beloved niece of Tony Guidry, who is a Dixie mafioso type down in New Orleans and basically held sway around the French Quarter and with the police department and the judges and everything else. So it becomes a mess. Now, the reason I like to write comedy is because, number one, I, I, I think about things funnily. I think everything is funny. Um, but also, you know, my other stuff is more dark. It's It's more noir. It's more procedural it's more forensics it's more all that you know and i wanted to get away from all that i want to write more about characters and people and, and stupid stuff happening and uh mm-hmm. and that's kind of what these two books are and of course i'm working on the third one now which is more of the same as it were now you you, you can tell that you have a lot of fun writing this and and oh, if yeah. anybody kind of knows you and you know sitting around the bar at thriller fest it's like jake longley could almost be like a cousin or a brother to you I mean, that's just the kind of guy that he is. That's the kind of guy that you are. I mean, it's just like the happy-go-lucky. So i got to ask the question, why did it take so long to kind of get involved with Jake? I mean, what was it? Was it something that kind of stirring around for years before you finally decided that you had to write him? Or, you know, what was it that kind of got you going with Jake? Well, again, I had been writing more hardcore crime fiction, and it was more had to do with forensics and police investigations and, you know, more sticking with truth and and, 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 and procedure and the way things work and, and, and keeping all those balls in the air. And, I, and after I wrote the two Royal Pains books, which to me were, were much lighter and funnier and interesting, those were the first two books I wrote that I didn't really outline. I just decided to just write them and see what happens. And so when I started this series, I didn't outline them. I just had an idea in each of them for just a couple of scenes. And I just mm-hmm. started writing. And I kind of outline as I go. And I kind of create the plot and, and all the things that happen as I go. And I find it um, much more enjoyable. It, uh, it's less restricting, and I, I discover mm-hmm. all kinds of things along the way. Inevitably, you get about 30,000 words into it, and you realize that you know there's a lot of things you need to add, a lot of things you need to change because you didn't create an outline. But that's good because those ideas for plot twists and for characters and for things that are going to happen – probably would have never entered my head during the outlining procedure. So it right. kind of came more organically, and it was a lot more fun. It was free. It was, 
it's the kind of writing I enjoy doing. And as you said, you can probably tell that I enjoyed writing it because it's lighter, it's funny, it's, I don't know, it, it, it's just, it was easier. I mean, I remember when you were writing Deep Six, we, we were sitting down talking, and you were like, this book's writing itself. It's like, yeah, you, you it, felt like you never even really had to do much. You're like, it's just writing itself. It's so simple. It's coming off the page so quick. Exactly. And Jake and, and, and crew kind of lend themselves to that. You know, he and Nicole have a relationship that she is uh, probably smarter than him, and and she doesn't put up with any of his BS. Uh, mm-hmm. And she's kind of an aggressive girl. She's smart. She's she's gorgeous. So she's and she's blonde, but she's definitely not the dumb blonde. She's she's got her stuff together. She can she can make things happen. And so that's that 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 playoff between those two is sexy and funny and 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 a little sarcastic and they're jabbing at each other all the time and uh and then you throw in pancake who's one of my favorite characters his name's tommy jeffers and he's a big old oafish red-headed guy who if you met him you'd think this guy's this guy's an idiot far from Mm -hmm. he's very bright and he very he understands people he understands computers he understands criminals he understands a lot of things but on first blush, you would never see that when you saw him. And, of course, he is a prodigious eater, and that adds a lot of humor to it because Pancake can plow through a buffet. <laughs> of course, and not six, just Pancake. He's 6'80", so that helps, yeah. Right, right. I mean, he'd be perfect. I mean, you know, six, <laughs> he would have been a perfect, you know, lineman, you know, 15 years ago for Alabama, yeah. but now these guys are 300 and 30 pounds and run four six forties and yeah. chase people down. Yeah. It's like, holy shit. <laughs> and, of course, that's what he was. He was an offensive lineman, and he didn't, yeah. he didn't get his name because he could eat a stack of pancakes. He got it because he, right. he made he pancake, pancake blocks, block people. You know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, so, and, and, that's the, you know, and that's the kind of humor and that's the kind of, you know, kind of whimsical that you're bringing, even though the subject matter is still pretty serious. But yeah. you're having fun when you're getting through the end. It's not right. all dark and, yeah, yeah, right. that's a good part. Exactly. There's a lot of people get killed and a lot of bad stuff happens, but it's done in sure. a humorous way. It's, 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 and, and the comedy that I put in there, it's probably because I grew up on, on, on sitcoms, which, you know, people don't remember. They're called situational comedies. That's where it came from. And, and it's about characters. You know, you go back to Ralph Cramden and you go back to Lucy and you go back to, you know, all the great characters that I grew up with watching TV. And, and, and this is more situational comedy. It, there's bad things going on, but there's things that happen within that framework that are just downright funny. And, uh, and that's kind of where the humor comes from. It's the humor arises out of the situation that the characters find themselves in. And I like this because I'm writing more about people rather than the crime and the procedure and all the technical stuff. I'm writing more about interpersonal relationships and how people work together and, and, and butt heads together and all that stuff. It's fun. Yeah. I mean, because there's the reading habits, you know, and we're just kind of seeing, and Shannon was talking to me about it and whatnot, we've kind of noticed some of the reading habits with people have changed a little bit more. It's almost like there's so much stress and there's so much mm-hmm. – stuff going on in the world today that when you get home it's like when you sit down to read a book do you want to read one that is just so stress tension filled all the time or do you like to have that you you know that kind of getaway a little bit from from reading and I see that a lot of people I mean I've seen cozies explode they're still a dead body 
but it's cute going along the way. It doesn't always be so stressful. So this is why I think it's a great, perfect time for Jake Longley to be out because, and he's 99 cents today, people. He's 99 freaking cents. You can go get a copy right now uh, yeah. and check out Deep Six and get both of them. But do you agree? I mean, you kind of seen, I mean, you get emails from your readers and whatnot, and you kind of see the, the reviews and the thing. I have a feeling that right now it's kind of like, these kind of books are becoming a little bit more popular because it's not so in your face. Yeah, I, I, I agree, and, and my, I read all kinds of stuff. I mean, I read all the time, you know. I, yeah, and, you and do. I like books that have humor in them. Um, I also like dark stuff. I mean, I like real deep psychological thrillers where you know it's really it's really dark and makes you feel you know really either scared or bad or or depressed or whatever. I like that stuff too, but I also like comedy. I just finished uh, yesterday uh, Robert Crazy's new book, and, and it's called The Wanted. And, and oh, yeah, you know, Elvis Cole and Joe Pike, you know, Joe Pike is obviously very serious, a man of few words. You know, he didn't even say goodbye when he hangs up the phone, that kind of thing. He, he's a, a trained killer, basically. But Elvis Cole yeah. is is an idiot, you know, and I love yeah. that about him. He's got that, that boy next door your cousin that you you hung out with growing up, he's got that kind of attitude about him, and and so those kinds of characters fascinate me. I like I like that that kind of person. I like to hang around with people mm-hmm. like that. So I like to write about them. And uh, so yeah, I agree with you. I think that 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 more humor. We're starting to see more of it come along. Yeah, and and I think it's the unpredictability. Like when you have pancake in the book, it's the unpredictability of what's he going to do and say next. You have yeah. no idea. Yeah. Have no idea. <laughs> right. Is he gonna you, 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 is he you, gonna figure it out with his brain or is he just gonna knock you down? Stumble on it. And and he could do either. It's his choice. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so and I, and that's and that's kind of the, the the cool part of you know, of when you're crafting the story and when you're starting to sit down and craft, because this is the like where you know, the important part as you know, it's not really outlined, some of it comes organically, but when you start thinking about what you wanted, like, book three to be, or let's just talk about, you know, let's say, you know, book two, The A-List, when you did Deep Six and you realized it was so easy to write, Jake, when you start crafting and thinking of the next one, is there something that you wanted to do in this book that you weren't able to do in Deep Six to kind of extend the series into more of a developing series in three, four, five as you go? It just kind of makes the world a little bit bigger. Was there something about that? Did you consciously think of I want to do this in this book that I couldn't do in Deep Six. Yeah, to a certain extent, and it also has to do with where the ideas come from. Now, if you take Deep Six, I basically had two scenes in mind, and they were the first two chapters. That was it. And I just Hmm. started writing. I did not know how it was going to end. I did not even know who the bad guy was yet. I I saw those two scenes in my head, and I said, well, let's just write these and see where it goes. Well, it took off. And like you said, it kind of wrote itself. And in mm-hmm. this one, in A-List, it's uh, the situation of going to New Orleans to, to how, do you, how do you solve a closed-room crime where two people are locked up in a hotel room and one of them wakes up the next morning and the other one doesn't? And mm-hmm. uh, what happened? Who did it? How did they do it? Why did they do it? That kind of thing, and then a comedic overtone. And in the third one, uh, basically, the one I'm working on now, I won't give it away, but it, 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 they end up in Florida in an imaginary town I created on the Panhandle, uh, near the Panhandle, uh, near Panama City. Uh, 
it is a situation that they get brought into that is very odd from Jump Street. It's just very bizarre. But this this story basically started with a what if. What if Jake and Nicole and Pancake and Ray are drug into an investigation that is so off the wall and mm-hmm. so unusual? What would they do? And how would they approach this? And how would they solve this situation where they're walking into a strange situation, a strange location where they know no one, and they could easily step on a whole lot of very powerful, very dangerous toes if they're not careful. But they got to solve this question that's been asked of them. So that one basically came out of a what if. And I didn't have really any scenes in mind when I started writing. I just started with the first one and said, okay, let's get this rolling with this first scene when, when Nicole gets a call. And, uh, and then this other one, they get a call from an attorney. So it's kind of like that. You, you get something that starts the story, and then let's see where it goes. Yeah. And, and, and that's always fun for an author, too. It makes it kind of exciting, I think, for you to kind of see where things go. And then all of a sudden you're done, and you're like, and there's the fucking A-list right there, baby. Yeah, I'm, I, yeah, <laughs> there it is. I'm, I'm, I'm watching the movie at the same time that I'm writing it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what the next scene is yet. <laughs> I know. And 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 you know, of course, you know, we have a lot of authors that always listen to the show because they're always looking for tips and pointers and trying to figure out, you know, where are they kind of, you know, missing that mark and. How many times do you kind of have to go back like you're getting to the end or you're getting into the middle part and you, you think of something really cool and you're like, oh, yeah, he's got to do that. But then you've got to go back to the beginning and change it because now the beginning doesn't really make sense if you have this middle and then you kind of have this end and you kind of have to go through and change those things. And sometimes with authors, they kind of forget those attention to details. And you never forget those attention to details. And I think a lot of that stems because – you're a cardiologist, and it has attention to details because you fuck sure. up, people die. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's true. And 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 in writing these stories, that's absolutely true. I am yeah. of the philosophy, and I think this is good advice for every writer: is to remember that writing is an art and a craft. The art is telling the story; the craft is making it pretty, so it can be published. Don't mm-hmm. worry about sentences. Don't worry about sentence fragments. Don't worry about you know, all the mistakes you make by writing stupid stuff, because who cares? You're going to fix it all in the, in the rewrite, rewrite, rewrite mode. Um, and, and so, yes, I find myself backing up and going back and fixing parts of previous scenes because they're in my head, and I got in this situation, you know, in Chapter 20, that, oh, this has got to happen. That means i got to go change something in Chapter 3 and Chapter 7 and Chapter 9. Not big things, but things. And so I do those then because I'm a proponent that you write the story from beginning to end, and then you go back and fix it. So in this situation, because I don't have an outline, kind of working without a net, I go back and fix those things at that time. But again, I don't dwell on things like punctuation and sentence structure and paragraph structure and all those things that make the writing pretty until I get the story written. Because to me, the part of writing I hate the most is the first draft. It's the yeah. heavy lifting. It's the hard part. I love editing. Because now you've got the story out there, and now you're going and smoothing out the edges and cleaning it up and adding things to it that make it better. And I like that part of it. Yeah, I mean, it's it, you know, it's kind of like you hate the moving, but you don't mind the unpacking because that's the only time you're ever really organized in your house, right? 
Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because after a month, you're like, well, there goes the cabinets. We put the beans in one place and the, and the soup. Oh, fuck it. Just throw it up there now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's gone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it, – and, and that's the great thing, I think, about when when you're writing a book. And, you know, and it is still work, but if the characters are fun, like Jake and Pancake and Nicole, and they make it easy for you to write, then I think that it makes the hard parts right. But – what about your villains? Because you have some, you had some pretty hardcore villains, like in Stress Fracture, and some of your other series. So yeah. you, they can still be villainous, but they still have to kind of weave into the story. So when you're thinking about the villain for the book, do you have certain personality traits and things that you want to make sure that people understand the villain of doing what they're doing, why they're doing it? Sure. Remember, the villain is the hero of his own story. And so the villain has, you know, motive, means, and opportunity. And even though they may be driven by evil things, they may not have the best interest of the world and the people around them at heart, for them it makes sense and it's necessary. And so they have to make it happen because they see the world their way and they want an outcome that fits their needs. Well, it obviously has to butt heads with the protagonist because they're mutually exclusive. They can't both win they, because the, the, the endings are mutually exclusive to one winning and, 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 and both winning. It can't happen. So that's where the drama comes from and where the tension comes from. But villains have to have an understandable reason for doing what they're doing. And the reader has to be able to access that to say, well, you know, this guy's a really bad guy, but, you know, at least he did this and this, and, 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 and I understand why he did what he did. I still don't like him, and I hope he, he gets shot in the end, but, but, <laughs> uh, but, uh, but, but they have a reason for, what, for doing what they're doing. Exactly. You know, and that's the most important thing. They have a reason. There's very, very, very few criminals that are literally just batshit crazy and do it with no reason. They still have a reason. Even if their reason might be batshit crazy, it still makes sense to them. And I think that some authors, and you've read a lot of books, I think some authors miss that point to make sure that the villain, whatever their reason is, is explained in a way that can still be crazy to a normal person, but normal to them. Sure. And, and if yeah. you look back in, in real life, I always take the classic example of Jeffrey Dahmer. You know, Jeffrey Dahmer is one of the most heinous right. serial killers that ever lived. But if you've ever seen him interviewed, he's kind of a sad sack. And he's yeah. kind of a guy who was looking for a friend. He was kind of looking for someone who wouldn't leave him. Some, and I don't know why that is, because his parents apparently were very nice and, and raised him well, but there's something quirk in yeah. him. I saw, I saw an interview with his dad, yeah. and his dad said and his yeah. dad was very normal. Yes, and, and was totally shocked by all this that happened. They just didn't right. see it. He didn't have that, quote, dark side. He was a bit of a loner and a bit shy and a bit quiet, but, you know, a mm-hmm. lot of people are. But, but, but he wanted a friend. Now, he did all these awful, awful things like opening up people's heads and putting muriatic acid because he was trying to create a kind of a zombie person that wouldn't leave him and -hmm. would be his friend. And, you know, when you look at that, you say, wow, that is a sick, twisted motivation. But 
for him, it was necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, right. it, that's the dichotomy of bad guys. You know, uh, Hannibal Lecter, the greatest villain that probably was ever created, you'd love to have dinner with him as long as you weren't on the menu because you well, know, yeah. he's, a very, he's a very charming, intelligent. He, sitting and having dinner with him for a few hours, you would learn so much, it would be incredible. But, you know, you better run out the door. Except when he says dessert and he starts looking yeah, at you, you better leave. like, see ya. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I mean, and, and, and we talked about that too. Like I know I, you love Hannibal Lecter because he shows the side and silence of the lambs when he calls her and she says, no, he wouldn't come after me. That would be beneath him. That's not it him. Would, it, she said it would be rude. And, it would and be that's rude. The that's point. Right. It would and be that's rude. that's the point. Hannibal Lecter had, he had, the qualities he had is he was a, he was a bon vivant. He was uh, gifted in literature and art and, and mm-hmm. cuisine, and, and he was a man of the world, and he had all of these skills. He just happened to like to eat people. But his saving grace was that he loved Clarice. Yeah. He really did. And, and at the end of the day, that gave him that little light in all that darkness. And that's what made him a great character. He wasn't just yeah. all evil. And and that's kind of the personality traits that, you know, like like you said, like like you have to kind of get across and, and I think that, you know, authors kinda of have to keep in mind. So when you're looking at book three, I mean now Jake Longley's gonna go on, right? You don't have an oh, end yeah. for him. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm working on the third one right now. Right. But you don't have an end. I mean you're gonna go and you're just gonna keep going until you go. Oh yeah, yeah. When I, you know, as long as I have stories that that Jake, Jake and crew can tell and should do, then I'll do that. But I'm working on two other books now that uh, have a whole new character, a whole different character. It's, it's oh, you're throwing, so you're going back into the pool with different characters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Always, you know, you got to keep moving and you got to keep. Otherwise, you get bored and you get stale. I think uh, it's hard to. That, again, it's one of the things I loved about Elmore Leonard. He didn't often reprise characters. You know, and and yeah. my my friend T. Jefferson Parker, my, my friend Jeff, he didn't. He wrote standalones for years. He rarely uh, 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 had the same character in the in the book. He had a couple in his early career yeah. when he wrote wonderful standalone fiction, fantastic stuff. And then when he came along with the L.A. Outlaw series, you know, with, with Charlie Hood, that was the first time he really wrote like a series, and uh, and it worked very well. So he's capable of doing that, obviously, but. Is something about always exploring new people, new situations, and new things that for a writer is fun because that's the creative part. Well, did you? I, I don't know if you had a chance to listen to our Dean Koontz interview that we did, um, that Jeff and I did. We had him on for, I think we had him on for almost the entire hour. Um, and he mentioned, he was talking about that same thing that when mm-hmm. he was younger and he was doing something, he would write a book and he had a dog in it. And then he would yeah. write the next book, and the publisher's like, no, 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 there has to be a dog in it. He goes, you have to have a dog in the book. And he's like, yeah, no, you don't. And I'm not putting a dog in this book. This is a totally different book than the last book. I'm doing exactly. something different. And then it's like, no, no, no. And it's like the next book, no, 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 you have to have a female person. He's like, no, this does not call for a female. So he, kept, he said he kept fighting with his publisher every time to figure it out. And then finally he had eight number one bestsellers, and all, through all eight his editor kept saying, Okay, this is a fluke. You're not. You don't write bestsellers. You're not going to do number one again. He said she told him that eight fucking times in yeah. a row. 
thought he was never going to do it. And it's just funny because he's like, no, I want to explore. I don't just want to write the same book over and over again. Yeah, because that's each, boring to me. Well, I, I think each story has to have its own its own rules. Each story yeah. is different. I mean, if you write series characters, there are obviously certain restrictions. You have to be true to the characters all the way through, and that is confining yeah. in some ways. But each story has to, you know, that's why you know, I wrote those other books, and I wrote those two Samantha Cody books, and ten years later wrote the third one. Because I finally yep. a story popped up that that had to be a Sam story. It couldn't be a Dub Walker story. It couldn't be somebody else. It had to be a Sam story, and that was original sin because it fit her. So you, you got to take the story and make it fit the situation for what you're trying to do. Yeah, I, I mean, do you do you have ideas about bringing them back at all? I mean, does something ever kind of hit you that 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 you kind of want to bring them back again? And you know, Samantha or, or Dub, does they cross your mind? If, if I come up with a story that uh, that they're the best fit for, absolutely, I wouldn't bat an eye to do it. But you're not going to go. Are you going to do any uh, real uh, online online research? Like you know, but you didn't really do it with the snake handler thing. But that would have been cool. Actually, I did a lot of research on the snake handler thing. You'd be amazed what's out no, there. No, no, no. I mean, no, like on oh. like going there and like physically seeing it. Were you like, did you go there? You didn't go to like a snake handler church, did you? What do you mean? I grew up there. <laughs> well, yeah, I know, but, you, but you, did you actually go to one? Oh, my God, I didn't know you actually oh, went no, no, to I one. Didn't, I didn't, but my father, when he was five years old, they went oh, to one shit. of these churches that it was called, they would call them Holy Rollers back then, and he, his mom took him to this church, and they're shouting and dancing and all this stuff, and the next thing you know, a box of snakes comes out, and the next thing you know, my grandmother, my, my grandmother his mother, Lifted him out the window of the church, and then she jumped out the window. And they left because <laughs> they they didn't realize these people handled snakes. You know, which is pretty much what I would just, do. Just tell the audience that's what original sin is about. It's the snake handler. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I remember when you told me that, and I was like, "Where the hell are you going with this one?" <laughs> You'd be shocked. I've never there, are seen over, it. there are over 200 churches coast to coast from California to West Virginia that they still yeah. handle snakes. It's, oh, it's not as small as you think it is. <laughs> you know, and, and, and well, there was, I forget what nationality she was. I believe she was, she was Asian, but she was the one who sang on stage with poisonous snakes on the stage and got bit by one one time after, like, so many years of doing it but continued for the next 30 minutes until she just died because she was yeah, yeah, I, I vaguely like, remember that. Remember yeah. that story? Yeah. I, I remember like, do, you're Dr. John, Dr. John used to bring boa constrictors on the stage. <laughs> you know, but, but, you, but you know what's funny? I think about that now, and I'm like, wouldn't that be an awesome book of she's dancing around boa constrictors, but someone <laughs> throws a poisonous snake on the stage, and that kills her, and, and it's like, who the hell did that? So you think about this stuff. <laughs> you shouldn't, but you do. <laughs> I know. You can't help it. You can't help but walk around and think about this, and you see things and, and all these other things, and, and you just – and that's why I never really ask authors, where do you get your idea? Because that's like a personal thing. You can get it from anywhere. All you have to do is open your eyes and listen, and you will find – characters 
at the grocery store. You will find characters at the bank. If well, if you ever go to a bank anymore, you'll find characters. You know wherever. Yeah, exactly. And just everyday life, and then yeah. it's fun when you see them come to life. Yes, absolutely. That's the that's the fun of writing. That really yeah. is because you get to create your world and do it your way. And and I think that's important for writers to know is do it your way. Don't, don't do what other people do. Do Tell it your way. Tell your story your way. Now, for people that are maybe just hearing it for, for the first time, I also want to, you know, while we kind of wrap up, I also want to kind of let people know you do a service for authors because you wrote Forensics for Dummies and, you know, you have several other um, – uh, forensics books that you've wrote, you know, how done right. forensics, murder and mayhem, more forensics and crime fiction. You, you've written all these, so you also take questions from authors that yes. they can email you and yes. ask you a question to make sure that they get it right. Can you explain a little bit more about that for someone who might just be hearing you for the first time to make sure that they don't give DNA results, you know, results in a day because that doesn't happen, and they can actually get it right? Sure. I always tell people that everybody's smart in something and everybody's stupid in something. And you got to know where you're smart and what you know. Don't assume it. Make sure that you know it. And then you don't know about other things. So you contact people who do. Well, I know about medicine and I know about forensic science, at least the science of it. And, and I also, since I'm from Alabama, I use small words so I can explain it pretty simply to people. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things I've always been able to do for some reason is to take complex things and, and make them simple. And so people will have a situation, you know, and it may be a dead body on Mars or it may be, you know, a, a body in a swamp. It may be a gunshot wound. And they want to know more about that for their story. So I kind of will explain the science to them, what the science behind it is and how it works in simple terms, because I don't expect them to understand physics and chemistry and biology and all that stuff, and then kind of tell them how this would work in their story or not work. And then if it doesn't work, why don't you think about this? If you do this, this, and this, then this will work. Rarely is there something that won't work if you tweak it properly. So, you know, I've always said knowledge is only useful if it's shared. So I try to share what I know, and then, of course, I pick other people's brains. And how, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you to ask you kind of to ask you a question? If you go to my website, all the rules and the contact are there. It's uh, dplylmd.com, dplylmd.com. If you go there, there's a, a link you can go to to contact me, and it has all the rules for sending questions in. And uh, we'll go from there. Yeah, and the other thing is, of course, you know, we always tell our authors on our on um, you know, it's almost it's almost like I guess you want to say required reading. You have to have a copy of Forensics for Dummies. And you have so. to pick up another one, whether it's forensics and fiction or whatever else. You have to have another one, and you and you have to have it handy, and yeah. you have to look at it and use it for the research because you know you put so many great things in there that you let people know the real factor of what happens when a body gets burned. I mean, I think one of the stories you said you had an email that said, okay, if I put a body underneath a bonfire and light it, and then what's the body going to look like when it's done? And yeah. you, you have to answer that. It's going to be a luau. Uh, it's not going to burn. It's going to cook. Uh, right. That's what they do to the pigs. Yeah, I think I think all writers should have th- the the three books in the How Done It series that Writers Digest did. I did the one on forensic science. Lee Lawson did the one on police procedures, and Sarita Stevens did the one on poisons. That used yep. to be like a twelve volume series, most of which were not very good, but they 
few years ago, 10 years ago, decided they wanted to collapse it down and get some good books on that. So they came to the three of us, and uh, and those books, every writer needs those on their shelves because you can find what you need to know very quickly in all those yeah. three arenas. And poisons, forensic science, and police procedure are pretty much enter into just about every crime crime novel there is. Oh, there's always something. I mean, there's forensics. I mean, there's forensics or, or crime scene or police procedure. There's in, in every one of those books, there's got to be some kind of thing, right? When you fire a bullet, you know, what's it going to do to the flesh? What kind of bullet's going to rip the flesh? Or exactly. what kind of bullet, you know, what's it going to And you can't say, oh, it's 22 and then it blew the guy's head off. Well, okay, that's probably yeah. not going to happen. <laughs> probably you not know, you want happen. more. <laughs> yeah, you, you, maybe you need like a forty-four, and he has to like be up on on him, or you know. So you want to kind of know what what's really going on because the one thing that you don't want to do is cheat the reader. No, because and now, you because don't, you, once you cheat them, they're not coming back. And remember, uh, people who read crime fiction are in general very smart. They like they're thinkers. They want to know. They try to solve puzzles. And people who have that slant are very bright. In other words, they read a lot. They go on the Internet a lot. They look up a lot of stuff. They know a lot of stuff, and and they might know more than you know about a particular subject. So you got to be careful. Uh, you you got to know what you're doing. And, and if you make a stupid mistake, you can kill the entire story because people yeah. lose belief. So yeah. do, do homework. <laughs> well, you did mention, of course, and, you know, that you're that you're working on the third book. So is that the next book that you're going to have coming out, or do you have something else coming out between? No, this will probably this will be the next one coming out. I'm trying to get it finished in the next couple of months so we can get it in the pipeline. And uh, you know, I'm almost through with the first draft, and it'll take me a you know a month or two to go through the rewrites, and uh, and and then hopefully it'll be good to go. Yeah, and, uh, but it, the guys it, it's going to be in Florida. So it'll be are fine. so good. It'll be in Florida where every crazy thing happens, so it'll be fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the people at Ocean View, your publisher, are so good that, um, oh. y- yeah, it, it's gonna, you know, they'll, they'll probably turn around next year, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bob and Bob and Pat and and yeah. all those guys there, uh, David and Lee and Emily, they're all wonderful, wonderful people, and they're just a pleasure to work with. And I just finally was able to interview Pat Goosen for her latest book uh, about yeah. a couple months ago on the radio show. And that was the first time I ever was able to actually interview her. I've talked to her several times, her and her husband, but it was great to be able to talk to her. So that's great. I love to see um, y- I love to see all these new publishers and these new authors coming out as long as it goes through the process of the editing and it goes oh, through sure. the process of having to do the rewrites. And I think that that's where people are getting – mixed up when they're buying a Kindle book, they're like, oh, yeah, let's go get this one. It's like, well, but who's the publisher? Yeah. Make sure. Exactly. I, I, I can't stress enough, and I keep I tell people, you've got to look at the publisher, and if you're not sure who they are, search the publisher and make sure it's just not the author making up a name to make it sound like it's a publisher. Because I mean it hasn't gone through the process. Yeah, and you don't I, I've want worked that. With some, I've worked with some great editors over, because I've been with a lot yeah. of different publishers for different types of books, of course. But Pat, Pat Pat Gusson actually edits my books, and she's fantastic. Yeah. She has a very clear vision of, of of everything. And when she asks a question, you better pay attention to it. It means that you know something doesn't fit exactly right. But yeah. and she's just she's just a great editor. I'd love working with her. 
Well, Doug, I want to thank you again for joining us. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Of course, always you come on whenever you want, and we can and we could talk so many other different subjects besides <laughs> books. I mean, shit. But exactly. um, it's always and we probably I mean, will. A-list. Now, the other thing, and I don't know when um when when is the Seamus Awards announced? Because Deep Six was nominated. Yeah, it didn't it didn't win, but it was nominated. Oh, okay. That that, that was already been announced. That was announced at BoucherCon, I think. I can't remember. Oh, that. that's right. That's a BoucherCon yeah, thing. Yeah, I yeah. I get. Sometimes on the awards, I always forget when they yeah. when they announce and when they do. But how great was it for you to get that? I mean, that's just dominated. That's awesome. I was shocked. It was nominated for best PI novel because that was my first real PI story, yeah. and uh, and I was I was thrilled. I mean, I was surprised, but I was thrilled. I, and I think that back to what you were saying earlier, I think it shows that that comedy, uh, comedic type yep. stories are, are entering yeah. more of the mainstream. That's what I'm getting drawn to a little bit more because I'm tired of all the seriousness. I mean, yep. and and I tell people too, and, I, and I'm honest to a fault. I say I can't pick up a military thriller right now. I, I will literally just throw up in my mouth. I can't do it. I can't. I can't fight ISIS anymore in these books, and I'm so done with them. It's like they, they, they every military thriller just seems to be the same ones. It's just the same group of SEAL team or whatever fighting the same kind of terrorist call, whatever you want, and that's all it is. So I don't do it anymore. So I'm falling into more of the suspense comedic and the cozies and the ones that make me laugh, make me cry, make me scared. Give me all the emotions, not just one or two. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I'll tell you what, Doug. I want to thank you always again for coming on. A-List is definitely an A-List hit, and I'm happy that the book is out today. And like I said, it's a fabulous deal. A-list is 99 cents. Deep Six is 99 cents. You can get two books cheaper than a freaking cup of coffee at Starbucks, and it's a hell of a lot more filling than that cup of coffee at Starbucks. So thank you so much for coming on, Doug. It's been a pleasure. All right. Thank you very much, John. Always enjoy it. All right, man. We'll talk soon. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. So, again, everybody, that is D.P. Lyle. Make sure you visit dplylemd.com for more information on all of Doug's books, not to mention if you're an author and you're stuck on something and you need to know the forensics part of it, go to his website, dplylemd.com. Check out the submission process to ask him a question. He'll give you a response back as soon as he can. But in the meantime, 99 cents. So if you're listening to the show now or like the next day or whatever, you go out to Amazon and get these books for 99 cents each. It's $1.98. You lose $1.98 in your car with change. You can afford $1.98 to jump into this Jake Longley series, and you're going to be glad you did because it's going to be probably one of the best $1.98 you've ever probably spent. Um, you're not going to find them any cheaper than this at all, so you might as well make sure you jump on it now and get both of these books, and you'll be glad you did. You can email me and, and thank me later, and, and you can do that. So we want to thank everyone for joining us here in 2017. It was great to finish it off here with Doug and his series and his books. And, again, everybody, thank you so much. Keep reading. We will see you all next year. Goodbye.